What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You were working on typewriters this time. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am Barry Horn. Yeah. Joining us in studio today is uh, our University of North Texas shadow is what we're going to call him because that's what he's doing. He's shadowing us today is Jonathan Williams, a junior at at UNT. Jonathan, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Broadcast journalism major? Yes, that is correct. He is, yes. And joining us... From out of the studio, from wherever he is at the at this moment. Are you at the Chateau? I am at the Chateau. Thank you, fellas. Is Tim Brando, the one and only, as, as we called him when we called, called him just a few minutes ago, the patron saint of this <laughs> podcast, Tim Brando. <laughs> My wife is the one with the halo, though. I'm going to... No, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, we didn't want to get into that, but... Anyway, but we want to talk about this little thing, uh, the, the Final Four, uh, the, the, the run for the Final Four that's going on right now, and we're in the Sweet 16. We have two teams from Texas in the Sweet 16, which is the first time that has happened since 1980. Uh, Jonathan, you were not alive in 1980, were you? No, I was not. You were, were you alive in 1990? Yes, I was born in 1990. Okay, there we go. <laughs> So there we go. That just made us all feel a lot older. Uh, so in 1980, that was when uh, Texas A&M and Lamar made the Sweet 16, neither of which made uh, the Final Four. Uh, we've only had 12 teams from Texas make the Final Four. You know, Tim, what makes it all the more amazing is, because I met Kevin back in, I think, 81 or 82, Houston had that run, and there was no – and. And there were other good teams. Uh, you know, Texas was pretty good until Mike oh, Wacker went down. In the, in the 80s, yeah. 80s, the Southwest Conference was a really good basketball league in the early 80s. Well, let me, let me throw this out at you. This, I'm, I'm, I'm so old that I remember 1980, and I was in, of all places, to our shadow today, Denton, Texas, where the first couple of rounds were being played wow. that particular year. Uh, Texas A&M had for Shelby Metcalf a kid by the name I want to say his name was Juden Smith. Does that sound right? Yeah, well, they, you had the they had the wall back then. They had uh, Vernon Smith. They had Vernon uh, Smith, not Ver- Juden. Yeah, Vernon, Vernon, Vernon Smith, Vernon Smith, Ren Wright, and uh, Rudy Woods. And Rudy well, was Vernon, the, the seven footer. I'm sorry, but Vernon yeah. was a teammate of Dwayne Astronaut Scales, who played for Daddy Dale Brown at LSU. At LSU, and they went to the uh, Elite Eight that year. Um, they they went from they played in that region in North Texas uh, to open, and so did Texas A and M. Uh, and as I recall, that particular year A and M also played North Carolina in the tournament. I think you're right. Uh, which is ironic. I think that's right. Uh, which is ironic because Michael Corn was playing on that Carolina team, 
Uh, and um, and A and M is a different story now, and so is North Carolina, given what happened. But those were those were great years. That 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 LSU team went on to Houston and lost to eventual national champion Louisville, and then of course the following year would make it all the way to the uh, to the Final Four in in Philadelphia. So I, I those were the earliest days of my career. I remember it vividly. Um, and and Shelby. Shelby had a uh, a whale of a team and a whale of a program at that time. Yeah, there was a lot of good basketball in the league, and everybody really everybody in the Southwest Conference was competitive. Uh, even even Rice was competitive because and Ricky Pierce they had Ricky Pierce, uh, and 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 so you know these were NBA. They each one of these teams had players who went on to long productive careers in the NBA. Yeah, and, yeah, and and, and, and that's know, what made a big difference. Well, in a lot of ways, it was the golden era in college basketball. The whole decade of the 80s is when the sport emerged. It's when I fell in love with it. I was working in Baton Rouge and, and local radio at that time, moved on to New Orleans and then got into TV. And those years, 81 through about 85, uh, got me going. And I started uh, doing regional games for my old friend Don McGuire, uh, who was doing the Southwest Conference and the Big Eight with Raycom back in those days. And I believe Don is doing some professorial work uh, at North Texas right now. I believe that's. Our, our, I believe I hear from him uh, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Usually, when I screw up, I get. I get. I get it. <laughs> you must hear from him. I a lot, hear from him yeah. a lot. Yeah. But but but. Yeah, Don was one. Of, I stay in contact with Don. I worked for him at Turner, uh, and he tried to hire me a couple of times. And then the second time he came after me, he did hire me uh, in that period between ESPN and, and CBS in the nineties. And um, but but those were great great teams great times, and really people wonder. Uh, it's I'm oftentimes asked why do you love college basketball so much, and it's really because of that time in my career. Uh, there were dynamic personalities. Think about it in the ACC at one time in the same year, Bobby Crimmins, Jimmy Valvano, Mike Krzyzewski are coming into the league. Right. Okay, think about that. You know that's 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 unbelievable to think of the impact and how long those guys in the league, and they came in in the early 80s. And LSU had Wimp Sanders, had Dale Brown, uh, Georgia had Hugh Durham, uh, uh, Sonny Smith was at Auburn with Barkley in person. Uh, there were personalities everywhere. Norm Sloan, Norm Sloan was in Florida, wasn't he? Uh, he went to Florida. Uh, I mean, it was just one great, unbelievable story after the other, and CM had uh, had left Alabama in the um, at the end of the 70s and early 80s, and, and Wimp took over and had the Plaid Palace. I mean, it was just college basketball was at its absolute finest. Yeah, I think what helped uh, a lot of that, too. Was, back then. Yeah, what helped a lot of that, too, back then was the guys were staying at least a couple of years. And you knew who everybody was, and it made such usually, a big Usually difference. three years. I mean, if you think three. about it, Wor- yeah. Worthy, Perkins, uh, all those guys at Carolina in 82, that was the other thing. My first Final Four that I covered was in 81. In Philadelphia, it was the last one that NBC had, uh, and that was when Reagan was shot. Right, and we didn't know if we could play uh, that that that, uh, that Monday night, and we did. The following year, it's in New Orleans, first dome stadium. I had just moved to New Orleans, and uh, that was my second one to cover, and I only got to cover it because I mean LSU wasn't in it, so I wouldn't have gotten the credential that way. I, I covered it because I was local media. I had a daily talk show there. So I got to that, and then by 83, I started doing some games for Don and Jimmy Rayburn, who was with Sports Productions Incorporated, Lorimar, which was based in Dallas. So between those guys, I, I was getting enough work that I was able to worm my way into Albuquerque 
<laughs> and then uh, and and eighty four was in Seattle. The following year, I went to ESPN, starting doing games for them. And uh, and I have I have missed, fellas, two Final Fours since nineteen eighty one. I wow. missed the one in eighty eight. I missed the one in eighty eight, and I missed the one in ninety six. So I missed Danny and the Miracles at Kemper in Kansas City, and I missed the one up in New Jersey in East Rutherford that uh, Patino won with Kentucky. I, I love the event. Uh, I'll be in San Antonio this time, even though I'm not involved with the tournament with CBS. I, I, I did the ACC, got done with it, but I do some work for the NABC and uh, uh, some speaking there and, and uh, MC some forums for their convention. And uh, I'll go to the I'll go to the games with my wife and just enjoy it as a fan. I mean, I love the event, and it all started during that period we're talking about eighty eighty one eighty two. It's funny because the nineteen seventy nine championship, I think that wasn't that the Larry Bird Magic Johnson oh, yeah. year. Yeah, Absolutely. so and and yeah. that that's what's credited, I think, with with. Yeah, bringing national attention to well, they, they kind of did that in college basketball. Then they did it in pro basketball. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think that yeah, there's a lot of truth to that, uh, Barry, and I don't, and I don't disagree with it. But I would tell you, as a youngster, I was captivated. I mean, I think basketball people were captivated right. by by seeing the games on national TV. You got to remember, '68 was the first time a network actually covered the Final Four. That was the year Hotline put together the the game down in the Dome with uh -huh. UCLA and Houston and the Big E uh, and Lou Alcindor then uh, had that great game. And that was Eddie Einhorn's TBS company right. that sold, sold that game and syndicated it. And NBC struck a deal with TBS to produce these games because they saw the ratings interest in the regular season primetime game. So at that point, Final Fours in 66 and 64 – they weren't on national TV. No, I mean, sir. if you were 8, 9, 10 years old back then, you were lucky if your local station was carrying the game. So after NBC started carrying the Final Four, it was like, whoa. Uh, and then we had stars that emerged in coaching and players. Um, Al McGuire's run in 77, you know, I'm in school back then. I, I loved watching that. Those were unbelievable games that they had. Uh, the 78 game between Kentucky and Duke, my friend Mike Jeminski and, uh, and, of course, Jack Gibbons had that unbelievable 41-point performance. We, we forget those because of the bird magic thing, I think. History has not been kind to some of those great teams and great Final Fours prior to 79. But uh, I, I just think we were, we're talking about a sport that didn't really emerge on the national scene uh, until the late 60s. So in a lot of ways, College basketball has been catching up, and 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 really, it's it's it, as a big event. But the NCAA tournament's probably the greatest success story of major sporting events in the modern era of sport in our country. If you think about it, Tim, let me ask you this: I was watching the uh, North Carolina A and M game on Sunday, I believe it was, and I wasn't convinced A and M was going to win that game until just about the buzzer. You know, cause I kept I kept waiting for the North Carolina. I kept waiting for the. North Carolina. Did, did anybody else feel that way? Did you feel that way, Tim? Did you? No, no I actually didn't, uh, and, and I can tell you why I didn't. Um, I, I I knew what A and M had at the beginning of the year. Uh, I I was able to keep uh, you know I did keep up with what happened. They had a lot of suspensions, got a number of injuries, got started getting people back, uh, and North Carolina just could not match up with Texas A and M physically. Um, 
And that's that's why. Now, granted, I understand where you're coming from, Barry. You're thinking, okay, this is North Carolina. They're playing in Charlotte. Right. At some point, they're going to press the pedal to the metal here. Exactly. And start making some. Uh, yeah. But what 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 I noticed was North Carolina could not get the ball inside the paint. They absolutely could not get anything to the rim. They were settling for jump shots because no one could deal with Davis and Williams. They physically. You know, North Carolina lost a lot of big-time talent, not just Justin Jackson as a scorer, but they lost a lot of, you know, Kennedy Meeks and all those huge bigs right. that they rode the two Final Fours. Those guys are gone. And North Carolina had been doing it a lot in a lot of ways with smoke and mirrors. I mean, Luke May was a walk-on. Correct. Who turned into a great player for, for Roy. Uh, he didn't have his usual big-time inside talent on this team. And A&M was just physically overpowering them inside and, and and it looked to me north carolina for the first time looked like a team at least in recent years that felt like they were outmanned because they were outmanned a&m was just physically that much more imposing well so so how does that match up with uh with michigan you you you, well, you saw a lot of michigan this year for uh fox did. sports didn't you okay i did i did we did a lot of big 10 games and i saw michigan several times you know, John Beeline's teams always progressively get better as the season goes on because a lot of what he does offensively is intricate. Uh, and it takes a while for even uh, intelligent basketball players to kind of figure it out and get their chemistry together. Uh, you know, Mo Wagner is the key to that team. Uh, he's an inside-out or really outside-in yeah. player. In right. he's, he's really a better shooter. Uh, facing the basket and from uh, the three-point line. But he's got a skill set inside, too. Uh, they they have to run the offense to some extent through him. He had two very poor games, very poor games. They were lucky to get out of that region. Houston should have won. I mean, yeah. there's no denying that. They played – they looked like they had a lot of rush after that run they played, you know, in the Big Ten title game. They were really uh, rolling along. And I think to some extent, Jim Delaney moving the conference tournament up a week, I think it hurt a lot of those teams in the Big Ten, uh, except Purdue, because it allowed Purdue to get maybe a little bit better physically. Uh, and you see that they've gotten through. But Michigan's fortunate to get through. Michigan State played very poorly. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that, that the other Big Ten teams that, that were in part of this tournament did not look good as a result of that week off. But the thing that that Michigan has is they've got a lot of scoring capability beyond just Dogner. Jordan Poole, who hit the big shot to win the game, uh, is is an outstanding inside-outside player. Livers, who comes in off the bench, can also make outstanding plays for him. The problem they have is Xavier Simpson, their point guard, uh, you know, as good as he is at, at moving the ball, and he's a really good point guard, he can't make foul shots. So late in the game, he becomes a liability as about a 50% free throw shooter. So that's something A&M, I think, could take advantage of in this game. Uh, if Wagner gets in foul difficulty, Michigan shuts down. And A&M's strength is its front line. So, you know, you'll see one team's got a three by their name and the other team's got a seven. Matchup-wise, I think A&M is the better team right now. You know, I... This, to me, is the most anticipated Sweet 16 game because as I look at this uh, makeup with Xavier now out of this side of the bracket and Florida State having beaten them. Now, Florida State's big. 
they're long and they're very athletic, but they, they, they are really hot and cold as a shooting team and are without a pure point guard. I think the winner of this game marches on to the Final Four, and given who they'll be playing on the other side, and the potential is that it would be Kentucky coming out of the other regional, it could be an all-SEC uh, national semifinal uh, in San Antonio. The potential is there for that. And the way A&M is playing right now, I would give them a great shot uh, of, of making it all the way if they can beat Michigan. So what would uh, what would be the thing that you feel like? Because you know we always talk about you know the, the tournament's a guard tournament, you know, uh, and and so what do you feel like would be the thing that would keep A and M from beating Michigan? That's just it. The guards. Poor, poor, yeah, I think I think the guards have to play at a really high level, and I think that the you never know. This is the one thing, Kevin, about the NCAA tournament is. With teams and programs that have not gotten there, you know, A and M got there a couple of years ago to the Sweet Sixteen, as you know, they had right. a miracle shot that helped get them there. But when they got to that next stage, and this is true for coaches as much as it is for players, the build-up to the, the the second weekend is huge. They're getting more attention than they've ever gotten. Uh, they're dealing with a lot of attaboys on campus, you know, and how how do you handle that full cup of success mentally? comes into play. Um, this is a you know, this is a Michigan program that's very comfortable being in this position. You know, John Beeline has taken his team all the way to a national championship game, fell short. I don't know if he's going to get Rick Pitino's banner or not, <laughs> but, but he got his team there, you know, uh, to Atlanta a few years ago. And I think experience as a coach really does pay off when you move to that second weekend. And, and John's got experience that Billy – has had a little bit of, but did not convert in, you know, when they were last there. That's part of it. And, and also how the players respond. Texas A&M should be riding very high, knowing that they intimidated, physically intimidated, North Carolina. That's not easily done. If they can go in and play with the same level of confidence and just play their game, play the way they did against North Carolina, they'll be fine because Michigan is not going to slow them down. This will be – an up-and-down game. I don't think it's a question of the kind of uh, free-flowing style. Like, they're not going up against the Duke or Syracuse zone, okay? They don't have to worry about uh, making changes or alterations to the way they play when you go up against Michigan. Uh, now, now they, they have to understand that they have to – those bigs are going to have to come out and defend the perimeter because Wagner's got the ability to get them away from the basket, which allows for driving lanes. Uh, for for some of the other players on the team, and they're they're physically gifted, but I think that the biggest key to this matchup is psychologically is Texas A and M capable of running on a full cup of success. Yeah, well, I, I, I just I, want I, I just want to throw this in. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention this before we moved on to the Tech game. That Tyler Davis and DJ Hogue are both graduates of Plano West High School, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm, that's yeah. where. My daughter played basketball. Oh my God. That's across the street from my house. And, you know, and, and this is Barry's universe. It's at, Plano at, West. Plano West, but, he, and but no further. But, you know, I, I just want to point out that they both played at the same high school, but they played on a roster on a team that was really put together by their AAU coach, and they just happened to go, go to the, the right high school. The AAU team, which was sponsored by Kenny Trout. Kenny Trout. They, yeah. they traveled on the Mavericks team jet when, uh, when, when they were an AAU team. And right. uh, at at Plano, at at Plano West, where the, the coach would list everybody's hometown, 
He listed Tyler Davis, uh, his hometown is San Jose, California. And he listed uh, DJ Hoag's hometown is Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. Which was, which, which, was kind, which was kind of hey, – they did win the state championship, by the way. Yes, they did. Yeah. yeah. He's got a lot of good – he's got a lot of good uh, Dallas and Texas players on that team. Well, welcome to college basketball in 2018. I think that the biggest difference between – and this is one of the reasons why we're seeing all these upsets, guys. You know, in the 80s, when we were going to, to, to NCAA tournaments and, and these teams were going to, to, to NCAA tournaments, they didn't know necessarily a lot about the guys they were about to play against. Like, as an example, when when LSU was about to play Louisville in Houston uh, in 1980 in the regional finals, uh, you know, freshmen like Howard Heisey Carter or uh, a guard like uh, Ethan Martin, uh, you know, from Baton Rouge's McKinley High School, they didn't know anything about the Doctors of Dunk. But they right. heard about the Doctors of Dunk. I mean, you know, the, the McCray brothers and... You know, all, all that talent that was on Darryl that Griffith. team, it could be intimidating when you were playing a club because, you know, we don't, everybody wasn't on TV back then, but Louisville was, Indiana was, Carolina was, Kentucky was. And a lot of the uh, other programs, even SEC and, and big time name schools like LSU, they, they weren't on as much. They always trying to change all that. The biggest difference today is all these kids now, because of AAU basketball is emerging, good, bad, or indifferent. Most of these kids, I don't care if they're playing at Loyola or they're playing at Nevada. When they take on a big-name school, they probably played AAU ball against these guys since they were 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, right. so or with them. There, there's, no, there's no intimidation factor because of the, you know, the name on the front of the jersey because most of these kids know the other kids on the other teams. It's, that's how basketball... And there's a lot of good from that, and there's some bad from that. There's no denying it. But it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of these so-called mid-major, you know, anonymous uh, schools that are cracking their way all the way into the Sweet 16 like they are right now. I guarantee you, UNBC playing Virginia the other night, some of those kids playing knew the Virginia kids, and they probably played some against them. We didn't know about it, and and maybe even – um, most of the guys didn't know it until they got there. And they went, oh, yeah, hell, I played against that guy. We played when I was 13 years old. So, mean, it happens all the time. So give us your pick. Who, who, who moves on from that game? From which game? A&M, A&M Michigan. I, well, I like, I like the way A&M is playing right now. I, I don't know, based on, if you're just looking at the way these teams have performed to get to where they are right now, I don't know how you couldn't pick A&M. Yeah, because I'm, A&M is playing at a higher level. I mean, Houston, If I love Kelvin Sampson, but for crying out loud, <laughs> why wouldn't you guard the inbounds pass? I mean, I, I could not believe that he gave that pass to midcourt uh, absolutely without any defensive uh, stress whatsoever being brought on the inbounder. The inbounder could not run the baseline, and that, that's a big part of it. Yep. Um, I, that, I didn't have was, as much problem with that as the fact that why in the world would Rob Gray have his back to the passer on that play? You, you're playing, well, you got, you got, you, you got the man yeah. advantage in the, in the front court. Why wouldn't you just turn around, watch where he is? He's playing zone. He's playing free safety back there. Everybody else has got a man, and, and then and there's no way if he's turning around and looking at the passer that that passer is going to be able to throw a, a the, pass the into rule, the front court. The rule, according to every coach every analyst that I've ever been with in a situation like that, and of course everyone points to the Rick Pitino decision, 
you know, in the 92 regional final game in Philadelphia against uh, Duke with uh, the shot by Leitner on the right. pass from Van Hill. Everybody thinks about that one. But you, you go back and look at every miracle shot that was made either before the end of a half or the end of the game this past year. In almost every case, you know, they practice half-court shots all the time at, at the end of every practice that I've ever been to at, with any program this year. So those so-called Hail Mary shots are practice, okay? And getting the ball to midcourt to the easiest and quickest way you can or even a length of the floor pass, you know, like the pacer play with Bryce Drew back in, in 98. Those, right. those, those plays are practice. And if you allow the, the shooter to get the ball with momentum going towards the goal, okay, in other words, he, he gets to step into the shot, that's a no-no. You, you can't do that. You've got to find a way to make the offensive player go with the opposite direction of his goal somehow some way and 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 Houston didn't do that but, no they did but not to, you know my listen fellas Michigan can win this game solely because of the way Beeline runs his offense and if Mo Wagner plays well I, I think Texas A&M needs to take it right at Wagner try to get him into foul difficulty because Michigan's offense shuts down quite a bit when he's not on the floor um but you know the, the Wolverines have had more experience in the limelight and, and I think that will serve them well. Uh, and I believe that they are a tough cover and a team that I, I had penciled in uh, going all the way to the regional finals. I had Michigan playing Xavier and Xavier coming out of that bracket. I certainly didn't have A&M. But A&M's play, uh, getting to pass North Carolina in such impressive fashion, and even in the game prior to that, I thought they looked so good. Uh, they're playing better, and therefore, I like Mich- I like A and M to win the game if so, they can if they can continue playing with this at this level, and that's the only question I have. Right, I agree. All right, so let's go to the other side of the bracket. We've got uh, Texas Tech playing Purdue. Uh, uh, Isaac Haas will not be in that game. The seven-two center, he is an elbow problem and uh, will not play. So that's an advantage for Tech because Tech is undersized. Uh, I, the thing I like about Tech, and I've liked about them all along, you know, when we were asked to make predictions here uh, going into the tournament, which team from Texas would go the furthest. That was before, obviously, A&M had put everything together. I said Texas Tech because I like Keenan Evans. And, and I think that Keenan Evans, to me, might be the best guard left in the tournament. What do you, what do you think about him? He very well could be. But we're going to find out going up against – Carson Edwards because he's a load. I saw him drop 40 on Illinois this year on the road. Uh, and Carson Edwards is a uh, a little bit, you know, he, guards don't like to guard guards that are smaller than them. Right, exactly. You know, they just don't. Uh, I'll, I'll take you back in time. Mookie Blaylock said to me, I was doing Hawks games, for Don McGuire, by the way, uh, <laughs> in my days in Atlanta um, uh, when I was at Turner, and Mookie was a, an all-star player at that time. He'd come from Oklahoma and Billy Tubbs' you know, great teams in the late 80s. And he was having incredible an incredible year for the Hawks. But Muggsy, Muggsy Bogues would just, I mean, chew him up and spit him out. Every time they played the Hornets, Muggsy just had Mookie's number. And I remember asking him, man, what, what's the deal when you play me? He says, hey, man, he gets underneath me. And I remember, and he, says, and he says, I know that because I bother, you know, Magic Johnson and all the guys that, uh, even at the end of Magic's career, he hated playing against Mookie Blaylock. 
And the reason was Mookie was so quick, had a quick trigger, and he was a shorter, you know, uh, he wasn't as short as it wasn't a mighty might like uh, Muggsy, but he was, you know, six feet, six one, that variety. And he got underneath people and really bothered people. Uh, Evans is that kind of guy, but Edwards is also that kind of guy. I, I think that's an incredible matchup. And who wins that matchup is going to go a long way in determining the outcome of that game. Now, let me tell you, I saw Purdue against Indiana. I think it was the third highest rated game we had on, um, on mm-hmm. Fox this past year in Bloomington. It was on a Sunday afternoon. Place was rocking. Uh, Purdue had won 19 in a row at that point. I mean, they were dominant for probably mid-January all the way through the end of February before they hit a quick two- or three-game losing streak, came back to reality a little bit. But they were as high as number two in the country at that point. And uh, Purdue was off the charts good. And it wasn't just about Isaac Haas, who is a back-to-the-basket, low-post monster. Okay, uh, big, thick, when he shakes your hand, it engulfs you. Um, 25 years ago, he would have been a lottery pick. But now the NBA is not about low pose, back to the basket, big man. It's about, right. you know, face up Euro centers. That's, that's what the league has become. But, 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 but Purdue is more than just a, a one hit wonder. Um, Dakota Mathias, the kid that made the big shot mm-hmm. late in that game with Butler is, Man, oh, man, is he a tough cover. And he is a glue guy for that team. Vincent Edwards is their most athletic player and will be the guy that I think is going to be of great interest on the scouting report to Chris Beard because he's 6'8". He's got a great inside-outside game. Playing the position he is, it's going to put a lot of stress on Texas Tech defensively. Carson Edwards, as I said, could drop 40 at any time, but he's more of a facilitator. Uh, and, and, and he'll do his best to get Matthias and to get Carson, uh, to get Vincent Edwards and Dakota Matthias going. And with, with Isaac Haas out, you think about, well, the size differential, uh, Kevin, which you pointed out. I don't think Haas in this game with Texas Tech was going to be a major factor anyway because Tech is such a transition-oriented team. The game is going to be played at a very fast pace. I don't think he would have gotten up and down the floor quickly enough for him to be the factor that he would be in a lot of other games. But the kid that's playing for him now uh, is 7-3 from Amsterdam and is a true rim protector. He runs the floor like a deer. Matt Harms is 7-3, and he's an emotional player that is an absolute shot blocker. And the only thing that's troubling for Purdue is He's accustomed to playing 18, 19 minutes, and now they're asking him to play 30, 35. And we'll see if they can, you know, keep their pedal to the metal and, and, and not run out of gas because you know what Tech's going to do. They're going to try to scramble it up, run. and they're going to run like mad. And I, I think how Purdue handles that uh, is going to go a long way. It's a great matchup. I, I think the two best matchups, honestly, in this tournament remaining uh, from the Sweet 16 are Texas Tech, Purdue, and and Michigan A&M. I, I, I think the fans in, in the state of Texas ought to be thrilled because of the interest that most basketball people have in, in both of these games. Tim, we haven't even touched on the two freshman guards at Tech. Um, is there a better? Are there two better freshman guards at any team in the country? Oh boy, that's a that's a that's a good one. Um, you, you probably have to. Obviously, you'd have to look at, at Duke, obviously, with Duval and, and, 
Yeah. And, and, but, but I mean, the, the one and done types. I can't think of other than one and done that are out there, uh, Barry. I don't think so. You know, uh, and there's a lot of those out there, as you well know. But um, I'm impressed with everything they've done. And you don't know, think about where Beard was. Five years ago, I think, in his career, he was coaching in some uh, semi-pro league and, and living out of his car. <laughs> you know? And for him to be where he is, is is amazing. It's one of the great stories uh, in college basketball. Uh, and the deeper they go into this tournament, the more we're going to find out. The more the world will find out about his background. Tim, do you see either of the Texas teams in the Final Four, and what is your Final Four? Well, God knows my original Final Four looks like an F-taper. It looks like my geometry test in the ninth grade. You know, it's yeah. not, my it's bracket blew pretty. up a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it blew up uh, day one. It blew up for me. But um, Virginia, huh? I, I would tell you that, that, as I said, I believe A&M, based on what I saw, is, is maybe the most physically gifted team, certainly the most physically gifted team on their side of the bracket. So I think A&M can get there. I really do. I think the winner of that game will beat the Gonzaga-Florida uh, State winner. I don't think that's a reach to say that. So I, I, I will give you A&M right now. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to say I believe in what I've seen from Billy Kennedy's squad. I don't think Williams and Davis are guardable. Um, and if the guards just hold up and they can do the job on Mo Wagner, I think they can, they can win that game. So I'll go with A&M. On that side of the bracket, you know, a lot of people are overlooking Nevada. Uh, and I think that the Martin boys are just incredible, and they've come back to win two games. We have not seen the best of Nevada. And I think they're going to give Loyola and Chicago all they want. And that could be a wild one between Nevada and, and Kentucky if those two teams get to play. Uh, most people don't think Kansas State can, can hang with Kentucky and just based on what we see uh, from a talent standpoint, that's probably true. Most people don't think that it's, it's wide open now for the big blue nation to roll into San Antonio. That could, that could happen. I guess I would go with Kentucky to get out of that region. Okay. Villanova, to me, is in great shape. Uh, they're, they were the team I picked to win it all when the tournament started. Uh, I was one of those that adjusted my bracket when I heard DeAndre Hunter couldn't play for Virginia. And I originally had Virginia playing Nova, and I, I changed that. You know who I substituted Virginia with on that side of the bracket, fellas? Who's that? All right. Shows my intellect. Arizona. How did that work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I trust really you've readjusted again. Yeah. Yeah, I've readjusted on that, too. So I, I'm going to go with Villanova, clearly. And then on the other side, uh, I don't know how you can't go with Kansas. Um, uh, again, because that side of the bracket opened up with the losses. Clemson played their tails off to get where they are without Dante Grantham, and what a job Brad Brownell did. And he's got really good guards. I mean, Gabe DeVoe is outstanding. That could be a fun game. I, I think Clemson will play Kansas really tough, but I, I just don't I don't see Kansas with Azabuke back and, and the rim protector that he is. I don't think Clemson can stand up to that. So I like the Jayhawks coming out of the other region. So Kansas, Villanova, uh, Kentucky, and I'll go with the uh, – the party crasher is A&M. How about that? All right. And the, and the winner is? You know, I like Villanova. Uh, they, they've just got too much, fellas. 6'8", 
six players that shoot 40% or better from downtown, everybody on the floor, and you'll find, you'll see this in the game against West Virginia. As good as West Virginia is at turning people over and scrambling the game up, not just Jalen Brunson can handle the ball, but they, DiVincenzo can handle it. Hell, the Spellman, the seven-footer, can put the ball on the deck. They don't have one player on the floor that cannot create his own shot and that cannot dribble out of pressure uh, and pass out of pressure. Nothing but players that know their role. Uh, and now that they've got Phil Booth back and they've got Mikael Bridges back, I mean, this team is absolutely lethal. They're not, they're not going to wow you with their athletic prowess by any stretch. But when it comes to playing pure basketball and uh, players understanding their role, there's just no, there's no team right now better than Villanova. I've got the Wildcats winning their second title in three years. All right, I, I, I'm going to go with that. But, I, but first, we're going to let uh, Tim go. we got to move on. Some other things we have to do. We love having Tim Brando on talking about college basketball. Talking about anything, actually, college football. We could have you on for, you know, I'm sure we could have you on talking about politics if we wanted to. Tim, I think you've been. No, no, no. You don't want to go there. No, <laughs> probably not. Tim, I think, not. I think you're miscast. You shouldn't be doing, you should be the analyst. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think you could just well, do it all. Well, why, why do you need another guy clogging up time? All, all I do is plagiarize off all the great analysts I work with when I come oh, on shows like this. Yeah, you're terrific. That's it. Tim, it's, it's always great having you on. We love having you on the podcast, the patron saint of the Ballsy Podcast, Tim Brando. It's it's a beautiful thing. Fox is Tim Brando. Fox, Fox is Sports Tim runs yeah. Tim Brando. Let's, uh, he, let's he, give him a plug. He's the, he's the voice of college sports. Come on. Football, basketball, whatever you want it to be. Thank you, fellas. Be well, Tim. Great, Tim. There goes Tim Brando. You take care, bud. Tell Professor McGuire that I gave him a pop. I will. I'm going to text him as soon as we get done with this. All right, there he goes. You take care. All right, now let's go around the table here, Jonathan. Give it. Give us your final four. Well, for my final four, I'm actually going to go with Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, in the other region, I'll go with Michigan because I actually had Michigan originally. Did you really? Good for you. And um, and then on the other side, I got Villanova, and I actually have Duke. Duke, all yeah. right. In, in our in, in the the picks for the paper, uh, which we had to do this week, I don't know if those have been published yet or not. Don't oh, break any news. Oh my gosh! I don't I don't want you breaking any news. Oh It'll my be gosh! First. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, is that everybody was picking Duke, and I was I'm surprised I went with Kansas. I went with uh, now I I did not go with A and M. Uh, I had. Uh, I had Gonzaga coming out of that region, so I got to. I have uh, Kansas, uh, Kentucky, um, Villanova, and then uh, who am I leaving out here? Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova, Michigan. And, no, not Michigan. A and M. Not A and M. No, out of that out of that region, I had Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Uh, so that's, a, that's like a, you have like a blue blood. Yeah, I, I kind of went with the chalk on this. You went thing. with the chalk. Uh, but uh, what's my fourth one, Jonathan? That would have been. What I got Villanova. Virginia I got no. I got no, Virginia's long gone. I got I got Villanova. I got Kansas. I got Kentucky. Oh, that's it. And that's then I got it. Gonzaga. That's there what I've got. So yeah, I've got the blue bloods in there. I don't. I don't vary too much from. Well, that. you know what happens every year? We talk about Cinderella and upsets. Right. But when it gets to the Final Four, rarely. Or any of the Cinderella's still uh, yeah. Yeah. midnight has passed. And I don't think you can even. You can't really call it. if A and M made it. You can't call them a Cinderella. I think the, it, you can't. Well, I mean, they were at one time this season they were ranked fifth in the nation. But Cinderella's that, 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 North that, Carolina that, State. That, that, that's a program without any legitimate 
Final Four history, obviously. Yeah. And so I, I would consider them a Cinderella, just just well, for that for the but, program and, history. But yeah. that, those are some really good players. On oh, they've they got, they've terrific got at least one lottery pick on that team. At least one. who do you like as the lottery pick? Robert Williams. You do? Yeah. yeah. I think Robert Williams is going has played himself now because of all this. Has played himself in. He was probably a fringe lottery pick anyway. He was probably an eight, nine, ten. You know, that's a lottery, but it, it's a high lottery. Uh, he he may. Depending on how well he plays now, he may move himself down into that. I think it would be six, too, seven what, what, what would it mean for the state to have to have A and M in the or Tech? Well, that, that's what I wrote about for today. That's, to me, that's the great thing about having these teams making the Sweet Sixteen is that you uh, it's just it's more exposure. Listen, you know we talk about Carson Edwards, right? He's from Houston, right? You know, uh, it, it, there are I, I counted it up the other day. There are of the of the of the of the ten of the sixteen you know ten of the sixteen teams left have at least one Texas player on their teams, and and Kentucky and Duke have two apiece. More of those guys, I think, if you get more exposure. Duke has really come into the state of Texas and, oh, and, absolutely. and pillaged. The more you have that happen, the more these guys are going to be more likely to stay home. Why? You know, that that's why. Now, kids don't care about ancient history, but they care about recent history. And if if they see A&M, uh, you know, going to Final Fours and maybe even winning a championship, if they – they see tech doing the same thing, then then that's going to have an impact. You know, the, you don't need very many of these kids to, to stay home. You just need two or three or four of them to stay home, and then you change the complexion of everything. And that, now you're talking about you know making it into a much bigger deal. So we didn't get your final four. What was your final four? Well, I just want to say I think the headline. Well, they, and I said if A and M makes the final four, I hate the head, you start yelling. The headline in the Dallas Morning News will be Johnny Manziel's school <laughs> makes the final four. That's not true. But uh, not, I'm going to go with A and M. You're going to go. With I have an A&M. Aggie. In the, I have an Aggie in the family. All right, and then I'll, who I'll else? Go, and I'll go. I'll go Kentucky, Villanova, and Kansas. The chalk. Yeah. Or or this the the the. School. I think Duke is the favorite over Kansas, but I'm going with Kansas. Yeah, well, because my Aggie's married to a Jayhawk, so I'm oh, I'm going with go. that. There you go. Then who's your champion? Oh, wait a minute. First of all, John, who's well, your champion? We didn't ask uh, you. My champion's Villanova. I picked him in the beginning. I Did picked, you really? Yeah, for you. My champion I picked early was Xavier. Way to go! I, I, I had Michigan State. As I'll my go. Champion, I'll go with Villanova. I'll, I'll say Villanova too. I, that's just such a uh, a well coached program. Uh, Jay Wright does a tremendous job. You know, Larry Brown, big fan of Jay Wright, uh, and and was always when he was unemployed was always hanging out with the Villanova basketball team. Any program that that Larry I think he Brown was li- he was living in Philadelphia. Yeah, he was. Time, yeah. In any program that Larry likes, you know, I think he probably ought to pay attention to that one. Uh, so he does a great job coaching them up, and and I just think that in in these types of games, that's really important. I believe. I think it's very difficult to carry off. I covered those Houston teams. It's very difficult to, cu- to carry off. I covered off. those Houston teams, too. Oh, from afar. Uh, you covered those teams by, by, by calling me and saying, okay, what happened this week? Were you, were you, in, Hawaii, were you in Hawaii? For, for they, they, there was a big upset in Hawaii when they lost, wasn't there? Uh, Didn't they lose I, the Shamanade? That was not the that that was not the big upset. The Shamanade was beat Virginia. Well, I know that, but but you, but, but there was a big upset. Houston, I remember calling you in Hawaii. Were you there? Uh, no, you no, weren't. No, I, was not. No, I didn't go to Hawaii. The, I didn't go to Hawaii the next year though, when guys quit, and then I had to, maybe I called you then. I had to accompany uh, Kim Olajuwon on the way home from uh, from Hawaii because he wanted to go home. <laughs> Actually, I was I was going home too. They told me to go home with the paper, but they asked me if I would babysit Akeem on the way home, which was an unusual story. 
Yes. Would you like something else to drink? No, but I'd like you. To, I'd like <laughs> you have a good story. Please tell it. No, no. It's, we, we, we don't have time now. It'll be we, a first. We, we've got another. Oh, nice. We've got a, we got other things to do here. We got David Moore is in the studio. He, he's come in. He's got out all his materials. He's back he's, from the hot. Were you in the Bahamas, David, with the Jones family? Oh wow! In the Bahamas. Did you know that? No, I didn't. They, know that. they, they were they were gone. They was, took David they, with them. Were, were you babysitting the kids? <laughs> He was baby for the wedding. During the wedding, he was babysitting the kids. That's so nice. That's beautiful. All right. I'm going to have to wrap it up here for for everybody in the studio, for Tim Brando, uh, for Benjamin in the in pr- uh, production, uh, for Jonathan Williams, our UNT uh, guest, Shadow, here today. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our College Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.